developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. If you dive deep enough into the ocean and the deep blue will eventually go dark, very dark, and in this darkness, you start seeing all the very strange fish. I'm talking about the eerie things, the ones with the nasty big teeth and maybe neon lights that looks like attached to their heads. On the Internet, it's kind of the same story. At the surface, we're all used to the familiar things like Amazon and Facebook, Google, YouTube and Commando.com. But if you dive past all of those into the deep web, well, the Internet gets dark, too. While crime is notoriously committed in the dark alleyways, the dark web provides an anonymous dark alleyway. And on the dark web, you have marketplaces like Amazon selling things like how to be your very own ransomware criminal. You can get a kit to send phishing emails to thousands or millions of people or even post your own advertisement asking someone to hack someone you know, maybe get their bank account information or get into his or her email. And get this, there's even a rating system on the dark web. And if you really mess up on the dark web, there's a sort of court, like a judicial system, where you have to justify your reasons why you did or did not do something when you are committing a crime there. Joining us on this podcast is John Hammond. He's a top cybersecurity pro with Huntress. And we're going to learn more about the dark web and how he tracks criminals down, including getting one guy arrested in real life. So stay right where you are, because all of this and more starts in just a second after we hear from some of our partners in this podcast, because they help make these podcasts possible. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. So, John, thanks for joining us. Now, what do you do in real life, and how can somebody learn more about you? Yeah, in in real life, my day job is a security researcher at Huntress, and Huntress provides a kind of software-as-a-service agent that looks for a hacker's backdoor, that looks for persistent footholds and implants and tries to find the smoking gun so we can rapidly notify an organization when a hacker is in the network. John, let's start at the top because everybody's all worried about COVID-19, the pandemic. Yes, we've all been living the pandemic dream, as I like to say. And we're all super excited about maybe the potential of getting this vaccine sooner than later. We've got names like Pfizer, Moderna and others that are involved. Um, What's going on with the hacking and the vaccine? Because that's pretty alarming to me. Yeah, you're absolutely right with uh, the whole cold chain kind of umbrella term, right? The transporting and offering the COVID-19 vaccine that has to be stored in like practically sub-zero temperatures, right? So the name cold chain and those vaccine providers like Pfizer or Moderna are going to be the ones rolling them out. Um, 
what we're seeing potentially in the dark web and actually what we're just seeing in cybersecurity as a whole, IBM kind of blew the whistle and, and alerted the community, hey, there are cyber attacks for phishing and trying to harvest information regarding this cold chain, even early as starting up back to September. Okay, so so the hackers, the bad guys, the scammers, whatever you want to call them, are they setting it up so that this way, because with the cold chain, they have GPS gadgets and chips all involved. So this way they know exactly where the vaccine is along the way, along with their monitoring the temperature. Now, anything that's connected online, I've always had the thought that, you know, that is, of course, able to be hacked or infiltrated at some point. Are they looking to disrupt the cold chain to stop the vaccines? Or are they going to hold the vaccines for ransom? What are you hearing? There are a lot of different sort of techniques or, or tactics that hackers could choose. Uh, some are sending phishing emails like under the guise of these vaccine providers. And they might be baiting the recipient to enter their credentials to the provider's website. And maybe, okay, those are just breadcrumbs, but potentially that's enough to get their foot in the door and maybe gain access to more of the company's network. And we could, sure, extrapolate on that and maybe, okay, attack the source itself or, or, or go for the provider. Um, but there are other techniques, too. They might be deploying ransomware to try and disrupt operations. But I think the most common one we're seeing now are cyber criminals trying to sell fake and counterfeit vaccines. Wow. Oh, that's, you know, anytime that you want to sell something, I always say it's fear, sex, or greed, right? <laughs> and in this case, it's definitely the fear that you're going to get COVID and you're not going to be able to get the vaccine. I went online because we were at the LA Times. They had one of these uh, surveys where you type in your age and if you have any health ailments and then what phase that you're going to be as far as getting the vaccine. And so I type in all my stuff, John, and it comes back. And I was so bummed. It was like womp womp because I'm not able to get the vaccine, they say, until like the third wave of people. Because first you have, of course, the first responders, and then you have some military, and then you have the elderly, and then you have people with health conditions. And I guess I should be happy that I don't have a health condition. But at the same time, I was like, wait, what's going on here? Why does it take so long? So it seems like with that type of information out there, that people would be likely to fall for a phishing scam offering a fake vaccine, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, hackers have and always will and continue to capitalize on chaos, right? If there's any sort of doubt or uncertainty or fear, anything that can... I don't know, tug at the heartstrings is not the right word, but but spur some sort of, of urgency uh, in a potential victim, right? Someone they're targeting. Hey, if, if they're selling this, so to, so to speak, COVID-19 vaccine for $250 or $750, well, hey, maybe that's, that's quite a deal. Let's go for that. And if they promise this, I don't know, stealthy and safe delivery, <laughs> hey, what a bargain. Yeah, and see, and that's the deal with phishing scams. I mean, it used to be years ago, you know, we all joke about the Nigerian princes, right? But it used oh, to yeah. be it used to be years ago that if you got an email, it would be like, Dear person, you know, we got vaccine <laughs> for you. 
you know, just click here and give us credit card number. And it was broken English. It was bad grammar. Uh, the links didn't work. The logos were bad. And it was just kind of obvious that there was somebody in a foreign country that is just trying to steal from you. But now I think we need to tell everybody that these phishing campaigns are getting so much more sophisticated that they are using real logos and real links. And what other things are you seeing that might be a telltale sign that it is a phishing scam or is it just getting that good that you can't trust anything that you get in your email, which is kind of my inclination lately? Yeah, unfortunately, I tend to side with you that, well, you can't really trust anything these days. Um, You're absolutely right in that the phishing emails and all these campaigns are getting more and more sophisticated. Um, We're seeing attackers kind of take advantage of other potential vulnerabilities. So even on an external website or something that might be trusted, because we're all trained, as you said, like, oh, look for the bad spelling, look for the bad grammar, hover over the link to make sure it's HTTPS with the secure notice and all that. Um, but if, if they happen to compromise a secure web page, and we, we saw that even with an open redirect vulnerability with the human health services some time ago, phishing emails would take advantage of that, and it would look legitimate. Secure connection, a .gov domain, it all looked legit, but, well, it's still driving the user to wherever the the hackers really want them to be. You know, you just mentioned something that I'd like you to delve a little bit deeper in. It's that whole redirect. Explain for our listeners how that works and how they can be taken by that. Sure. Typically, when you log in to a website uh, or your whoever, you're logging into your Amazon, you're logging into Facebook, whatever you might kind of consider in your, in your head. Um, once you log in, you'll redirect to the homepage, right? Um, the way that that is done in the technology, in the software, in the code, maybe potentially there are some flaws and bugs and, and gimmicks in that. And the end user or the attacker, kind of playing pretend as the adversary, they could take advantage of that and redirect you somewhere else. So that redirect vulnerability could potentially be a flaw, taking advantage of something as simple as logging in or even just entering your credentials. Yeah, yeah, he's just so careful. So um, as we move towards 2021, and we're going to get more into this in just a sec, what are some things that you saw in 2020 as a security researcher that just astounded you that you sat back and said, wow, now that's something. Because, you know, so often you and I, we get jaded or we see something and it's like, oh, well, you know, that happened again. But there were things that stand out. Like last week, I don't know if you saw this, doesn't have anything to do with the dark web, but did you see (laughs) the Boston Dynamics robots dancing? Oh, I did. Okay. Now, wasn't that... The jump that he did was incredible. You know, yeah, the fact that he could do a 360 and we say he, like it's a person. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But that was phenomenal. I actually watched that video, I don't know, probably at least five times and just stopping it and going back and saying, wow, this is truly a breakthrough. This is something that nobody could have predicted five years ago. If we look at the security field, say over the last 12 to 18 months, is there anything that happened in your industry where you sat back and went, okay, this is, this is, uh, this is something that's different? 
Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we tend to sort of trawl and, and lurk in the dark webs, listen in, kind of keep our ears to the ground. Uh, and we have a few good stories that I'd be happy to share. Um, probably our, our, our spotlight and flagship one is a story of the, this hacker handle Wozniak. And it's, it's with a, a zero for the O, so it looks all cool and cyber-like. <laughs> Wozniak had posted on Torum or one of the, the dark web forums uh, and he explained, or this individual had said, like, I'm selling access to a managed service provider business, or I'm selling uh, accessibility and access to a company. Define what an MSP is for everybody. Sure. So an MSP or a managed service provider is sort of essentially an outsourced IT company. So say you're a small business, you're a mom and pop shop, and you have a business to run, you have other priorities. So dealing with email and websites and technology and files and backups are all things you don't want to have to deal with. So you'll work with or contract out to a managed service provider or an MSP, and they'll provide those services for you. And the MSP, when you have one of those, because we had one once when we were just growing, the managed service provider, they have access to everything. The whole idea is that as a small business that you don't have to incur the cost of having a help desk, an IT person, a networking person, a SIR administration, because it does get really costly. And if you can have somebody just remote in and do everything, it's like, wow, this is really great. As it turns out, it didn't work well for us. And when we come right back from this quick break, we're going to talk to John more about what happened with this MSP. And maybe there are some red flags that we all need to look out for. So stay right where you are. Since our founding in 2000, we at the Center for Internet Security have always had one mission. It's to create confidence in the connected world for people, businesses, and governments. As a nonprofit, we do this by drawing upon our core competencies of collaboration and innovation. The world is changing, cyber threats are evolving, and IT resources are limited. All you want is a way to strengthen your cybersecurity programs efficiently and effectively. Let CIS help you with these efforts. We use a consensus-based process involving IT professionals from around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources are proven to defend systems and data against threats, both on-premises and in the cloud. We also strive to help organizations of every size and maturity strengthen their cybersecurity programs. This includes serving U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations. At CIS, we're all about making the connected world a safer place. Visit our website to learn more. Welcome back. We're talking to John Hammond about security and things that are happening right now on the dark web. Before we went to the break, we were talking about MSPs. These are managed service providers. These are companies that if you're a small to even medium-sized business and you don't have to hire an IT, a help desk, a server administration, a database person, and the list goes on and on, is that basically you just contract with an MSP. And then anytime you need help, whether it's a printer, they'll deliver a printer within 30 minutes or so. And you could have them sign a contract that they're accessible 24-7. And when we were starting out, we couldn't afford an IT person. We kind of contracted with an MSP. It didn't quite work out for us, but it does work out for a lot of other companies, I think. So, John, you were talking about Wozniak, which is not like Woz from Apple, right? This is a person (laughs) on the dark web. So what happened? So 
Wozniak makes this post and claims that they are selling access to a managed service provider, MSP. They say it's located in eastern United States. I'm asking for $600 in Bitcoin, right, cryptocurrency, and they're willing to provide screenshots and, and photos as proof. Like, hey, you can message me, Wozniak, on Wicker or Jabber or whatever if, if you're interested. And, and we thought, like, this is crazy. Like, th this is really a business. They're laying out <laughs> terms. They're establishing a price, contact information, trying to build trust and evidence with the photos. Uh, we would we would watch other hackers kind of try and make a bid, like start to respond and, and hopefully get something going. And it was incredible to see Wozniak respond because they would say, hey, thanks for the offer, but I'm looking for a partner who wants a more long-term business relationship. I want to make money. Wow. Okay. So, so rather than just buying this as a one-off, they're like, okay, so if you could do this, what else can we do? And if you need some backing, almost kind of like a shark tank, what? <laughs> yeah, so, so we kind of devised a plan. We're, we're, we're the good guys, right? But we're trying to social engineer Wozniak and, and like act like we were a potential customer to see what information that they would share, sort of like hack the hacker. Uh, and, and Wozniak fell for the bait. They told us how they got in. They were fishing for credentials. They sent screenshots containing the IP addresses and the server names of the compromised target. And it's funny, I, I like this tidbit. We, uh, we wanted to capture that as evidence, but if we were to take a screenshot with, of his messages within the application, well, that would notify him and that would really, I don't know, sound the alarm. So we ended up just taking a picture of the phone. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> this is a little, um, I guess you'd say old school that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you catch the guy. At what point do you turn it at all over to the authorities? Oh, we absolutely do. Yeah, we, we were able to do our homework. We were able to find out who the victim business was, and we could notify them as soon as possible. Uh, so that MSP was made aware, and we actually ended up having Wozniak arrested. Uh, but the story did continue on. It got to the FBI. It got to other individuals that were able to kind of spur this investigation more. But as it turns out, Wozniak, our hacker, was a disgruntled ex-employee of the men and service provider that he hacked. He was an insider threat all along. Are, are most of these cases an insider? Because it seems like an insider would have access to certain systems and know certain protocols and be able to navigate certain systems? It's hard to say, admittedly. Um, certainly, yes, if you have individuals that just have the keys to the kingdom, they have all the access, they're the administrator. Well, we should probably be careful if we end up <laughs> getting him angry or firing that individual, who knows? So we, we kind of come to the conversation of least privilege and access controls to make sure there's there are processes in place and not everyone has all the power, not one person individually. Yeah, see, that is always still concerning uh, when you start looking, especially at small businesses where there is just one person. And I'll tell you, over the years when we were smaller and we had that one person uh, and there was a fist fight in the server room, <laughs> <laughs> which was just like a whole nother story. I sat there and went, wow, I feel so vulnerable that 
somebody could have access to just about everything. But let's go back to the dark web for just a second. Um, you start, you see these dark web advertisements. How much does it cost if I go on the dark web right now and if I want to buy like a, a phishing campaign and because I suddenly decided that this year I'm going to go rogue instead of being the digital goddess, I'm going to be the, the digital criminal. Is this stuff just out there just for sale? And how much does it cost? Oh, absolutely. Um, one hacker that we had, had seen, his, his handle was Salsa20, so that's a good laugh. Um, they, they offered a, a fake Office 365 login page. So to be used in a phishing email, right, it, it will log or capture the entered username and password. And that was for the right price of $150. Wow. That's it. He would, uh, it's funny. Salsa would bump his post, so it would kind of display first at the top of the list of offerings. And uh, he would even offer a price discount. He took off $50 at one point. And then a day <laughs> later, he said, oh, the discount's no longer valid. But uh, we thought that was clever. Like a, a limited time, discount only, that, that's a good sales tactic. It's like, I, I need a, it's like, I need a promo code for the dark web, please. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Save 15 today only. Um, what about these help wanted ads that are on the dark web? Oh, absolutely. So hackers come with, with different skill sets and specialties, right? They may not be all the way at the top of the competency chain. Um, so some folks might ask for services. They'll post their own help wanted sign looking for someone who could fish and spam and hack these other individuals or a company or whatever, whatever. Um, it's funny. One point we saw one individual pay for and want to start a conversation with this help wanted sign. Um, but later in that same thread, the original one posting this had said, that guy ripped me off. He paid the consultant like $420 and he never got back from me. He never got the service done. So, there's no honor among thieves. <laughs> so it's like having a Yelp review. <laughs> okay, it's bad. Right? Do not do that. Do not go down this path. <laughs> Don't trust this person. Wow. Don't trust this person on the dark web. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more about these dark web advertisements and what's really happening with this underground judicial system. It's just fascinating stuff. So stay right where you are. We just need to say a quick thank you to our partners in this podcast who help make it possible. Since our founding in 2000, we at the Center for Internet Security have always had one mission. It's to create confidence in the connected world for people, businesses, and governments. As a nonprofit, we do this by drawing upon our core competencies of collaboration and innovation. The world is changing, cyber threats are evolving, and IT resources are limited. All you want is a way to strengthen your cybersecurity programs efficiently and effectively. Let CIS help you with these efforts. We use a consensus-based process involving IT professionals from around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources are proven to defend systems and data against threats, both on-premises and in the cloud. We also strive to help organizations of every size and maturity strengthen their cybersecurity programs. This includes serving U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations. At CIS, we're all about making the connected world a safer place. Visit our website to learn more. 
Welcome back. We're speaking with John Hammond. He's a top security pro in the internet industry. And, and we're talking a little bit about dark webs. And it's fascinating to me that, you know, we have things like Upwork and Elance and LinkedIn and all these other legitimate. Now, if we go on the other side, we go to the dark web, is that we have kind of almost the same recruitment efforts that are happening there. Um, what is the strangest thing that you've seen in the dark web advertisements? It's funny when um, hackers will post their own help wanted sign and they're looking for kind of a hitman, right? They're looking for someone who can go hack some company or some CEO, whatever the case may be. And those are always pretty spooky and scary. At one point, um, we found that individual or one that had posted a help wanted sign. They had corresponded with some individual who said they were going to provide the services. They said they would get the job done. So they paid them $420 or whatever in Bitcoin. Uh, And then sometime later, they they shared a screenshot in the conversation and in that thread and saying, hey, this guy ripped me off. He never actually got the job done. Uh, And apparently... Inside the dark web, you can raise an issue or like file a complaint in the people's court. <laughs> a, a strange kind of judicial system where an individual might feel like they've been deceived or dethroned and they can start a case and wait for a verdict. So that's really strange to me. So is it like an online jury? I'd have to think so. I'd have to think there are some administrators or moderators that, in a weird way, keep the peace of, of all the evil. I don't know. Boy, that is something that is it's, it's something that you don't even really think about. Like, okay. So like we have the law of the land on the real web and in real life. And now suddenly when we go into the dark web, <laughs> we have our own judicial system that is just really not so. So give us some takeaways. I mean, you know, hacking, phishing, uh, the bad stuff that happens, it's the new normal. Um, what are some things that, that we need to be on the lookout for? Yeah, I would go back to what this all boils down to, that hackers will absolutely take advantage of and capitalize on the latest fad that hits close to home, right? The COVID-19 pandemic, the vaccine, elections, taxes, that sort of stuff cuts close to the bone, but that's what they'll use to kind of strike fear or create this sense of urgency and get an innocent user to click on something that they should or to kind of let their guard down for just a moment. Inside the dark web, cyber criminals are are seeing that and making that into an enterprise. They're buying and selling private information. They're offering exploits and vulnerabilities and, and hacker for higher services. And we should bring up a point, John, that if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, you know what? My ex is just a jerk. I want to go on the dark web and make his or her life total chaos. Not a good idea. Something that you don't want to do. You don't want to go to the dark web. And of course, there are instructions all over the internet and YouTube videos on how to do that. We actually put it up on commando.com because people were asking it so much and I wanted to tell them how to do it with enough warning that this way they might kind of almost be protected. But you don't want to go to the dark web. John, I have always had a question. Because all this is happening, why can't we just shut it all down? Yeah, it's an interesting stance. 
Uh, on your point, right, no one, yes, you should not go to the dark web uh, when you're working with hackers and cyber criminals. It, it can get personal very easily, uh, and that's not a good thing to kind of get in the middle of. But why can't we shut down the dark web? Well, there are a couple reasons. For one thing, it is part of the internet, right? So it's, it's decentralized. There's no real source to it. Um, they use the onion router and, and purposefully so, right? And there are a lot of other different avenues for doing that at, at the technical level. But the better question, I think we come to think of like, do we, do we want to shut it down? So I, I come from like a military somewhat background and our intelligence communities, right? If we take the stance of, hey, we have, we have a good source here. We have a prime candidate for information and logistics and things that we can track and monitor. Do we really want to burn that source? Yeah. I mean, we want to keep it up and going so that this way we can learn from it and we can track things and we know exactly what's coming down. But there's no doubt that the dark web is here to stay. And if you have any older family members that are not, well, you know what I'm saying, not so savvy, just want to do what I do. I tell my mom, listen, if you ever get anything that looks like something that you might want to click on, whether it's from America Online saying that you need a new password or it's from Fidelity saying that your account has been compromised or it's from Progressive Insurance claiming that uh, your account is about to expire and they're going to cancel the insurance on your car unless you click right here right now. And especially if they're getting text messages or if they're getting uh, phone calls that they really need to be careful. And you can be that person in their family. I mean, you can be the one that's that they send all this stuff to. Because as you all know, it's not going to get any better. Right, John? No, unfortunately, I don't think so. It's only going to get worse because now we've got other things we haven't even talked about. We'll save this for a whole nother time. We're talking about deep fakes. Oh, my gosh. Deep fake videos, <laughs> deep fake audio. That has me really frightened. Yeah, when we were discussing your, your thoughts on the phishing emails and the lookout for all those spelling errors and grammars, uh, grammar mistakes, part of me, I'm not, I'm not completely drinking the Kool-Aid yet on the whole artificial intelligence and machine learning. But if you think, if you kind of put your head in that thought exercise, like, well, what if that's used for evil? What if we have computers write realistic, almost completely identical to what a human would create phishing emails? Well, that's a peculiar use case for it. So I know that PewDiePie is like really big on YouTube and you are too. <laughs> so how, um, how can they watch some videos? How can people check you out on YouTube? Yeah, if you want to check out my personal stuff, uh, it's my name, John Hammond on YouTube. Uh, I think we're at 150,000 or so subscribers. So it's fun. It's a, it's a good passion. That's awesome. That's great. Well, congratulations on that. I think it's like last number I saw it was like 0.0001% of all YouTube channels have anything over 50,000 subscribers. So, oh, wow. So you're up there and you're growing and pretty soon you'll be, well, I guess the biggest YouTube star, he's nine now, is the kid who does the unboxing videos. I think he made. Oh, wow. Yeah, he made um, $28 million in 2020. Holy cow. I love it a lot. Uh, and that my community is, hey, we're talking about cybersecurity. We're talking about education and hopefully real stuff that has some good value to it. 
Uh, I know PewDiePie's killing it, but he, you know, video games and jokes and memes. So I'm pleased, hopefully, that I can offer some good education. Exactly. And if this doesn't work, we'll both get into unboxing toys. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so, so much. Happy New Year. Well, thank you so much for listening to Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Then you automatically get these podcasts delivered to your device. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.